Welcome to another episode of the Clay County Beacon Podcast. My name is Josh Allen, and today I have with me Tom Wells, who's running for Florida's 3rd Congressional District. Uh, first of all, Mr. Wells, thank you for taking some time uh, to talk to me today. I uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and about why you are running for Congress. Well, Josh, thank you for having me. It's very important to make some inroads in Clay County, and I think this is the year where we all have to look out for each other. The uh, problems we have are not political. The problems are scientific. We have to control a pandemic. We know how to do it, but the scientists' voices and recommendations are not being heard. And the same with climate change, but that's much longer-term problem. And both of them share a commonality that they're what you call exponential growth problems where the amount worse that it gets next year is proportional to how bad it is this year. And every year, that kind of thing grows really fast. So I talk about exponentials. Yeah, I have a PhD in theoretical physics. I can handle that, that math stuff. The other thing I have that's very important to me is grandchildren. And their lives are going to be controlled by what we do right now in terms of, well, first solving the pandemic and then using that as a model for how to solve the climate crisis because it is growing rapidly. The Gulf is hotter than it's ever been. The Arctic Ocean, air above the Arctic Ocean is about eight degrees centigrade. 15 degrees Fahrenheit above what it usually is historically. And the permafrost is melting and tremendous amounts of greenhouse gases are coming out of that. And pretty soon the planet will be able to do without us in terms of generating additional heating. Right. It's not a positive thing. So I think Jacksonville is about 100 degrees today. It's only June. Hurricane season is not upon us. Yeah, I'm sitting here in Middleburg, and, and my uh, my thermometer here tells me that it is 97 degrees. So it's definitely definitely hot. So it sounds like that's that's sort of would you say it's fair to say that is the the driving reason that you're running for Congress that you feel that well the reason Congress I'm running for yeah Congress in particular back in the 80s. With Ronald Reagan as president, we let science guide policy. And in 1987, Ronald Reagan signed a mandatory global ban on CFCs, chemicals used to make air conditioners and refrigerators work. They were banned completely. And the companies that made the refrigerators and air conditioners didn't complain because they had the engineering staff to make the next generation using different coolants, and they all made money out of replacing everything that had been in use in the refrigeration and air conditioning market. So they loved it. It saved the lives of everybody on the planet now because the unimpeded ozone depletion would not only cause a lot of skin cancer, but it would have killed the phytoplankton in the top 100 feet of the ocean, and that's where we get about 80% of the oxygen that we breathe. The other 20% is largely from 
from forest which we're burning or which are being burnt around us. So we are replicating some of the problems that the uh, ozone depletion would have driven. But these problems are not being addressed by the political system, but the, because the political system is completely corrupt. Now, I, I started campaigning four years ago, realizing 2020 was going to be the winning year. And when I started campaigning, I thought, wow, this is easy because I talked to 100 people and 100 of them agreed, yeah, corruption in Congress is, is terrible. Then I thought about it and I thought, you know, 91% of incumbents who run again are reelected. So what people mean is that all the other congressmen are corrupt. Mine is an honest, hardworking guy. I see him at the, I see him around the district. He comes down and he talks honestly with us. And uh, the other ones are all corrupt. We can't do anything about that. <laughs> well, the corruption is kind of subtle. It is, as the Supreme Court said 44 years ago, that money is equal to political speech. Right. And that which had been called bribery and put you in jail, now become standard operating procedure for both parties, legalization of bribery. Our voices have not been heard in the halls of Congress since by either party. Now, sometimes the Democrats talk ways I like better than the Republicans do, and I'm sure people who are Republicans find the opposite. But if you look closely, you see that neither party is doing what they talk about. Now, as a physicist, I've been solving much harder, much harder problems than that for a very long time. <laughs> this problem, everybody knows the solution you get people to stop taking corporate money in their campaigns. Yep. You can't force them to, but here's what you do. You give them an option. You say, gee, we'll pass a bill that gives every voter in your district $200 as a voter voucher, a special little account that they can use to support anybody who takes nothing but voter voucher money. That puts $140 million in the kitty in every congressional district, the Republican and the Democrat can pull out of voters who love them from that pot. And there's more than enough money to run any campaign. And the corporate donors will still be out there with their candidates. We'll label our straight arrow candidates and they will be elected. Hmm. Now, if you're really clever, Josh, you'll be thinking, yeah, but who would vote for that? Because 90% of the people in Congress have been elected using that corporate money. Why would they want to do something different? Right. Well, I think right now the fact that the failure to bail out people and small businesses is going to leave millions of landlords broke and millions of tens of millions of renters evicted and millions of small businesses fa failing. Meanwhile, we've spent a million dollars per second bailing out the guys who have all the money to begin with. 
Right. Not to mention the fact that we gave every member of Congress $52,000 when, you know, average I'm, Joe I'm got okay $1,200. It's the, it's the 12, it's the million dollars a second. If you did that for a week, I think that comes out to be like $15,000 for every man, woman, and child in America. Now, I don't know anybody got $15,000. Nope. But the guys, the 600 wealthiest families in America are splitting up that million dollars a second. Yeah. That's, that's insane. It's a shame. Yep. So how do you how do you fix, you know, uh, let's say we find a way to fix the corruption problem. Let's say Congress is working on an even playing field where they're actually, you know, you're, it's filled with people who want to do what they say they're going to do how what is your view of the government's role in fixing things like climate change and you know pan well let's start with climate change what what do you view the government's role okay. in fixing climate change well i mentioned the ozone depletion and nobody talks about that because the same thoughts apply also to climate change and since the powers that be the, the fossil fuel companies that subsidize our Congress and get massive subsidies in return. Since they don't want to talk about that thing because it would apply to them as well, nobody knows what happened with ozone depletion or why it was necessary. That's the point right now, is that if you did not outright ban CFCs, any, any single company that kept using them in their products would have a tremendous market advantage because refrigerators with CFCs were a lot more efficient. Right. And they were already making them, didn't take any new engineering development, and they were cheaper. So any exception to that rule well, it would, would just result in a new monopoly by a company that was violating the rule. Pretty much the same thing is what would be true at the beginning of the fossil fuel elimination, and we can virtually eliminate fossil fuels. You'll need some fossil fuels, but not gigatons of fossil fuels. So what would you replace fossil fuels with? Oh, wind power and solar and geothermal, all the renewable energy sources are, are superb. Where do, you, where do you stand on nuclear power? Well, it really doesn't matter. And let me, I'm, my, my, degree is a PhD in nuclear theory. <laughs> All right. What I mean by nuclear power doesn't matter is that right now in the United States, I don't think we've commissioned a new, new nuclear power plant in 30 years. The, the commission and build is 10 to 20 years for a new power plant. And we have to do substantial really heavy-duty work in the next 10 years, in the next five years. We should have started yesterday. We should have started 40 years ago. We knew about the problem 40 years ago. So there is no time to build a single nuclear, new nuclear power plant unless you just deregulate it and um, build the lower standards. Right. So... We don't need to close down the ones that are producing electricity. That's that's great. Keep a keep a close eye on them because 
many of them are long past their original planned obsolescence, their planned closing date. But yeah, we need what we got, and um, we can't actually implement anymore. Solar panels, on the other hand, it does not take a lot of area. I think the state of New Mexico, you just covered it all in solar panels, would be far more than the whole world requires. Right. And we need to be, at this time, building ourselves out of this economic contraction. And we can do that by planting big, broad fields of solar panels. Windmills, that takes some special construction skills, some, some, some climbing skills, a lot of large fiberglass manufacturing facilities. It's a very high-precision process. The manufacture of the solar panel is high-precision, but you can use it, scale the manufacture so that you can roll those guys out in, you know, acre, acre quantities and uh, start planting them in the fields. Um, Let's go back to solar panels for a minute, though, and pardon me for yeah. interrupting, but but so here's a conundrum that I've always not understood. Uh, well, I mean, I do understand it. So in a lot of areas, like my area included, uh, if I were to put, let's say, solar panels on my roof, I could actually put enough solar panels on my roof and couple that with battery technology that has been advanced over the last decade, oh, yeah. decade and a half, to actually generate and store enough power to power my home for three to five days. And essentially at that point, I could, I don't need the power companies to provide me power, right? Um, oh, yeah. But it's actually illegal for me to disconnect from the grid. Uh, you actually you can't. See, that's why you're, you're sending me to Congress so we can change those stupid laws. That's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> Would you be in favor of changing those sorts of laws? Because, it, you know, it, oh, I, yeah. I think, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are skeptical of climate change. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes... I, I wonder if the same corporate forces that have corrupted the government have some sort of an agenda. And I'm not saying that there's no, you know, that the earth isn't warming, no. like, you know, but, but I, I, I want, what I want to see is, is the government get out of the way of innovation. Right. I think that, that, oh, you know, we can I, innovate and come up with solutions that can help some of these problems. And I think, you know, in my personal opinion, the private sector, a lot of times actually can do that better and faster um, then the government I agree. Can. I agree. Now, I people often say, are, "Are you are you a socialist, Tom?" By which they mean, "Are you a democratic socialist, like the people in England, Sweden, France, Italy, Germany, Greece?" Blah blah blah. Yes, I'm a democratic socialist, but I believe in. Let us put a specific phraseology. I believe in fair market capitalism. I believe in people being able to invest their money, take a risk, and in competition with other companies, make a living off of selling their products and services. But right now, we have a government that is captive to the corporations, and the lobbying determines the success of the company. And right now, the fossil fuel companies are spending hundreds of millions of dollars lobbying Congress. And the solar panel companies, they don't have hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. They're actually working on building stuff. Right. 
Yeah, I, I think you could argue that we don't we don't have uh, you know we don't have capitalism. What we have is unabashed cronyism, right? Uh, and, well, I, and I, you know, that I think they're, uh, you know, I'm pretty extreme in my views, Tom. I'll just tell you, you know, I think the freer the market, the freer the people, right? So I'm a big proponent of deregulation and, and that sort of thing. Um, well, but, now let, let us look at regulations that sort of a simple example is seatbelts. Everybody was opposed to that limitation on their freedom, but it dramatically improved death rates on the highway. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm going to blow your mind with this one, Tom. I don't think the government has a right to force people to wear seatbelts. I actually don't think it's the government's job to save them, f- save everyone from every stupid thing that they do. If you're so dumb that you drive in a car at this day and yeah. age and you don't wear a seatbelt, I don't, I don't, you know, and again, you know, I'm pretty, pretty far on the spectrum of certain things like that. Um, you know, like seatbelt laws, right. you know, you know. No, I don't know that those are. If you don't, this, you don't agree with holding. What? How about if people are dumping um, phosphate radioactive waste in your river that you're you're getting your water from? Right now, see that's different. See, so here's here's how I sort of reason that that logic. If I do a thing, and the only harm that I can bring to anyone is myself then oh, I, I should have that. the freedom to sort of do that, right? Now, if I uh, am doing a thing that's harmful to other folks, and I think, I, you know, I think anybody with a brain would say any, any entity, company, organization, government, or otherwise that's dumping toxic things into our waterways is harming lots and lots of people, right? Oh, and yeah. I think, I think no, that's no, where a, a government has a role to say, like, no. hey, that's not good. We're not going to allow that. Like, you can't just, you know, harm people that you know we're just we're it's not, something we're, you can not do. we're not disagreeing yeah we're yeah. not disagreeing um I, I most many of the regulations oh they can be overdone okay like um in a sense a, a, a copyright of the government regulation i believe that say a musician writing cool music should have some protection for his his music yeah i agree with you now what our government is doing is they're saying, you know, it was 17 years back 250 years ago, and maybe that makes sense because it took a long time to get your music over to to um, Outer Mongolia. <laughs> now the people in Outer Mongolia have access to your music in a microsecond. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I think a lot of people don't realize, too, um, everyone loves Disney, right? The Disney Corporation. There, if you, if you haven't looked into it, you should look into how Disney actually used a lot of their money to lobby the government to extend copyright windows. Well, That's why uh, Mickey that, Mouse that, that, and Donald Duck have never oh, come yeah. into public domain. Peter Pan is not even in public domain because they own the rights to you know they gobbled up the rights to a lot of different stories and intellectual properties. And and I'm with you. Like there's got to be some sort of protection. You shouldn't well, write a song well, and then have somebody be able to but, steal it. You know, but, but right. But yeah. Congress has been lobbied what used to be called bribery, and they have extended copyrights on music twenty three times. I think yeah, probably it's crazy. more by now. It's crazy. And it's now the life of the artist plus a hundred years. So. The song "Happy Birthday," the simple, simple song. Hat. I, I probably shouldn't say it on a, on a, a commercial podcast. <laughs> the reason they have a different version in every little 
Applebee's and and and, and Mexican restaurant is because the lawyers that own the copyright to that they go around the country and collect a million dollars a year for a happy birthday to you. That's crazy. That is crazy. I didn't know that. I'm gonna have to look into that. That that that's a oh that's nuts. Yeah. So I mean, you, you go in the ice cream shop and they'll say happy 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 birthday happy happy happy. Right. <laughs> Drives me crazy. My wife and I, uh, my birthday last year. My wife, we were at uh, a sushi place here in Orange Park, and she did that, and I got mad at her, and uh, she got she was upset with me because I wouldn't yeah. let her I wouldn't let her have the people sing me well, Happy now Birthday. Now you know now you know why they have different songs. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about the the thing that has been you know bothering everyone and changing everyone's life over the past few months. Uh, you know, COVID nineteen oh, yeah. slash coronavirus. How how do you well, view uh, how do you view the government's role in in uh dealing with that because really the big debate now is well, how does the government protect people without forcing us into another great depression right like the people are there's argument I on can, both I can sides. tell you exactly yeah. how we could have stopped this for I can tell you different price points we had with Ebola we had the finest national security team for pandemics in the world. They absolutely snuffed Ebola in Africa. We sent doctors with good PPE, personal protection equipment to Africa, met the virus there and defeated it. One person who was sick got back to America and he died here, okay? But everybody he contacted was traced and treat it. Two people, actually I think it was eight Americans who had been working the problem in Africa were brought back and they were sick. Either one or two of them died. And that's still two or three people dying in America. But in 2017, the Trump administration disbanded and laid off all the people in that in that group, they laid off the they closed the office in the White House that dealt with dealt with pandemic preparedness. Trump's comment was, "I don't like to pay people for when there's nothing for them to do." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he saved he saved several million dollars that way. Now, I think the rest of the world and myself could not imagine such grotesque stupidity. And so when I was reading about the Ebola virus, the first thing I read from Donald Trump was actually astonishingly correct. I was like, wow, okay, he's got it. Because that, to me, would be totally unanticipated. But I can recognize things that I agree with, and I give credit where credit is due. Okay? We will ban travel from Wuhan. Trouble is, 42,000 more people came from Wuhan in the next few months. So his idea of a ban is a little, little strange unless it's for, for asylum seekers at the southern border. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so our national security, our border was completely destroyed by this virus. 
no protections whatsoever. They brought back the first plane full of people from Wuhan. And the people who met that plane were the people who usually take people to the airport to deport them. And they had been given a little bit of PPE, but had not been trained. So they, they were clearly exposed. The people who got off the plane were sent to a, a quarantine facility where a couple of them decided to go and go out and get drinks that night and they weren't closed down. Nobody seemed to take it too serious. So we automatically introduced it that end of January right. in uncontrolled fashion. So how do we fix now, it now? Now let's go for one more, just one more date. Okay. March 12th, Trump declared a travel ban to people coming from Europe, except we'll give Americans one, one day to come back from the UK, which was one of the hottest spots in Europe by then. And the next day, March 12th, six to 8,000 returning Americans arrived in the airport and there was no planning to receive them, no test for them to, to be given. No, not even temperature checks. They were packed into a terminal, shoulder to shoulder, and stood there breathing on each other for six to eight hours. And on March 12th, in the whole state of New York, not a single coronavirus test was given. That's crazy. Two weeks later, there were 37,000 more cases in New York. I wonder where they came from. Right. So what he says and what he does have never corresponded and never left those in there. Now, how do we get at it right now? The way other countries got out of it, NASCAR has been a lot in the news for what I think are very positive reasons recently. But let me just use NASCAR as an analogy. You get a, you, you always are driving with a pedal to the metal. And that's what a novel virus is. There's nothing that it cannot overrun. Right. No, no person has immunity. So we, it arrives and the pedal is in the metal and it starts building speed and we go to a lockdown. A lot, a lot of countries went to a lockdown. The other countries like Germany, Korea, Venezuela and Cuba, Lots of countries in the lockdown, they tried to disconnect the fuel pump so it wouldn't get started again. Put people who had it, trace who they contacted, you know, put them in quarantine and let the rest of the country open back up. In America, we just locked down. We did some testing. We didn't do any contact tracing. We did no effort at containment. And then we still got the pedal to the metal we said, gee, maybe it's time to let off the brakes a little bit. Right. <laughs> and this thing, we're, yesterday we set a new record nationwide for the number of, uh, number of new cases in a day. But now it's still just being in the New York area. You know, 90% of it was in New York area back in, in April. Now we have it all across the country, every major city. Right. can become a New York. If we don't do something dramatic, the uh, 
numbers are going to get a lot worse in the next two months. A lot worse. So now, a lot of people talk about other numbers, though. Like, you know, people, you hear new cases, and I get that. That's important. We got to know, you know, how many new cases we have. But I, I've heard mention of things like, well, new cases are important, but you got to compare it to the overall number of tests that were given and, like, the, the percentage of positive tests or the number of deaths oh, yeah. that, like, what is, 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 New cases, the only thing to look at? Like, I mean, are, are there oh, other no, metrics no, that are no. important? Or it, It's useful to pick out some kind of metric. We are doing more tests recently. Less than two hours ago, I read that Trump had ordered that all federal testing be, be stopped. <laughs> you know, this is a lot like burying your head in the sand and hoping the hyenas go away. Yeah, I mean, what, what not knowing what the numbers are, uh, yeah, doesn't doesn't help anybody. Yeah, not not at all, not at all. And if you're depending upon people not knowing what they're dying on to uh, to to get reelected, which seems to be the only concern in that White House, that turns my stomach. Yeah, yeah, you you know yeah. You would hope that that's not their only motivation, but it's it's hard to well hard to now, hard to people, make an argument that it's not though with some of the the way that they've handled you know some of the well things. the the thing to, to to note is that just deaths are not the total story. A lot of people, there's more and more evidence that a lot of people, even those who have been asymptomatic, who 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 got well and tested negative without ever having any symptoms, any, any discomfort. They still, if you, if you do lung x-rays, they have patch, patchy spots in their lungs. Now, maybe hopefully those get better, but the people who have had hospitalization and had recovered fairly comfortably, maybe people like uh, Chris Cuomo, I don't know his case, but he was certainly suffering at least a few nights. And I wonder if he has had his major organs tested because damage to livers and kidneys and all sorts of major organs, permanent damage is being observed pretty frequently. You get well, but your health is, has been compromised. And it's not just who diet that counts. So... If you need your lungs to play football or to, to sing and you've gotten through it without any visible problems, you, you may still be compromised. Yeah, I think that's almost scarier than, you know, not that catching any virus isn't scary or, or worrisome, right? I think that's the, to me, the part that's the most worrisome is like, I don't, I don't think we fully understand the long-term ramifications and side effects of, of, of this thing. Well, no, no, yeah. but... I do have a strategy. I was just uh, live streaming with a brilliant young doctor. He's only a few years older than me. <laughs> and uh, he's an epidemiologist and medical statistician, 47-year career at the U.S., some world-renowned. And uh, I was proposing how we could do it, and he thought it was a pretty good idea that we call out the National Guard and we clear out areas. We train them first. We, no guns here, no, no violence, just 
people doing tests and go through, close off the community, test everybody, put those people who are positive and quarantine, make sure they're well taken care of, they got internet, but they just can't go outside for a couple of weeks. Right. And let the other people work in a clear environment. And you spread that out from, from nucleuses until you spread out and cover the whole country. And you get it, get enough tests to test everybody. And you, everybody, just like I also approve of Medicare for All, everybody means everybody. Right. Because we're all in it together. I mean, if you only test the rich people and the poor people make you sick, <laughs> That was not real helpful. Yeah, well, I mean, so, I guess, you know, the, the, the question you're going to get from people on that is, what if someone resists? What if someone says, I'm not taking the test and you can't force me? Well, then you quarantine them for a month. What if they say they're not going to quarantine? Well, you know, the Japanese in World War II said weren't particularly thrilled about going to quarantine. Yeah. No, these are national security hazards. These are people who are threats to other people. They're not intentional. That does not make them bad people until they start. There have been cases of people with AIDS who have knowingly gone given a death sentence to other people. Right. There was an Algerian flight attendant famously 30 or 40 years ago who intentionally had sex with multiple thousand people. And no. That's immoral. I I am for liberty and freedom, but not the liberty to interject viruses into another person. If right. if it were a, a rabid dog, you would put it down. You don't have to do that with people. What <laughs> if, so would there would there be a way you know with your sort of your thoughts on that for people to quarantine in their own house? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, because some 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 well, people pass around plans where the government takes people somewhere and says you're going to quarantine here, you know, and well, and, now, and, and it's just hard for me. Yeah. They're they're homeless people. They're people where there's ten people in in a room, and there's millions of empty hotel rooms. Right. So put them up in a nice hotel, give them room service. You know, we're not talking about incarceration here. We're not talking about moving to a different county and eliminating. Your, your access to all the things that people would have if they were in the hospital, if their COVID actually became active. Right. And people would be, people are okay with generally going to the hospital before they die. So here you're really fortunate. You're asymptomatic. That's great. Maybe we can give you hot tea and herbal stuff and you can keep it out of your lungs entirely. And you will be better off for having known that you're asymptomatic. Right. And everybody else will be better off for you not having given it to them. Yeah. Yeah, all right. So, and, and your thoughts are fascinating. I don't know, you know, I don't know that you and I are necessarily aligned on that part. But but I, I, I see the, the earnest sort of like, you know, I, I see both sides of the argument. And I think there, there are people who really think that, you know, doing those sorts well, of quarantines and then, people- you know. And so I, I get like both sides of the coin, I guess, you know, so it's, it, it, well, I hear, I hear people saying it, it violates my liberty to require me to wear a mask in your store, but they walk right past the 
sign that says you must have shoes and shirt. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, people are, you know, people, sometimes people just make choices that aren't very smart. Like I, my wife and I, when we've been going to Walmart and the grocery store, we've been wearing a mask. Like, you know, I, like why to me it's, you know, maybe it doesn't do anything. I don't know, but like it, what could oh, it hurt? I do. What could it hurt? You know, it certainly couldn't, right. it could, certainly couldn't make my chances of getting it any worse. Right. So no, that's, that's right. Yeah. So, all right. So right. last thing I want to talk to you about, I want to give you a chance to tell the voters in Clay County, Florida, why they should vote for Tom Wells for the Florida's third congressional district. Well, I have been working the whole district for four years, pretty much seven days a week, generally 12 hours a day. And if, Back when we were still shaking hands with people, I talked to around 45,000 people in, either individually or in small groups over the course of that time. I talk with people. I listen to what their concerns are. Now think about how you can solve those in the present world. And the biggest disconnect right now I looked it up. I've looked up what people have been running on for the last 20 years, and my opponents on the Democratic side, I don't know about the Republican side. I don't have to figure that out yet. They they have platforms like my platform, which have a lot of things that everybody's had for the last 20 years. The difference, and I would be delighted for people to all just steal this difference from me and run with me own it is that I have a strategy for how to get started and get these things done. And if you pass public funding of elections, the only way you're going to get it passed is if you convince the people who pass it that you can do another thing at the same time that will make people so happy that they will be delighted to reelect you. Despite anything you've done in the past that they didn't agree with, if at the same time right now you pass single-payer health care, Medicare for all, then two years later, everybody's going to realize that they're better off financially and better off in health. And no one in their family has died for lack of treatment, and no neighbors of theirs have lost their houses by foreclosure for medical expenses. That's actually the leading cause of bankruptcy in this country is medical debt. And the next most is student loan debt. But you pass those two things, people will be happier. And oh yeah, that Medicare for all. Do you like your private insurance? Well, I've had insurance at my jobs for 40 years, and I never had insurance as good as Medicare. And every year in my jobs, they would change the insurance plan, and the deductibles would get larger, and the co-pays would get larger, and the premiums would get larger, and the coverage would get smaller, and the doctors you could go to would be different. And with Medicare for All, you will have far more choice because you will have the choice that actually matters to you. You'll have the choice of which doctor which set of doctors you go to, which physical therapist, which psychologist, if you need that kind of thing. Right. right. 
this year has been pretty stressful maybe for some people. Yep. I know it has for me. Yep. And uh, I wouldn't mind if they we had a little bit of hearing coverage too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we got to take care of each other. And it turns out that that is far cheaper than taking care of 600 billionaires. Well, yeah, I mean, the you know, it's good to hear your thoughts. I love the fact that you you came on the show because, like I told you, you know, I just I want to I want people to know who's running for what, and so that people can take a look and say, here's Tom Wells, here's what he stands for, here's what he says he'll do if he's elected, and then they can get to the the polls and make an informed decision. So, you know, I appreciate well, if you, you. If you get started with getting people to like you by uh, passing Medicare and giving everybody health coverage. Maybe then you might decide that private prisons are for profit prisons. That's like slavery. Let's get rid of that. Let's uh, let's raise the minimum wage back up to what it was when I was sixteen. That would be equivalent to eighteen dollars now. Right, in terms of purchasing power, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. And there are all sorts of things that go along with that because if you do that quickly, just like you do tax cuts quickly, then it reveals more injustices that the people who are making more than the minimum wage certainly got that because they deserve it and they should get a proportional rate. So, yeah, everything ties together and I think having a business in the and the Congress would be good for looking at the bigger picture. Yeah, you know, and, and again, you know, I, I think it's great that you came on, and, and I think people will, well, I, you know, I think people want to hear from people that are running. So I, I appreciate your time, and, uh, you know, I wish you best of luck at the polls. Well, thank you, Josh, and I think it's great that you had me on. I really appreciate it.